millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. It was a crime that gripped the nation. A beautiful wife and mother was found bludgeoned to death in the garage of her suburban home on the outskirts of Toronto. It was July 1973, and a violent murder was not something that the Mississauga police were accustomed to dealing with. But their suspicions soon fell on the woman's husband, a wealthy Hungarian-Canadian developer named Peter Demeter. He was a man who had it all. Family, friends, success, and wealth. But he wanted more, and murder was much cheaper than divorce. Convicted of hiring a hitman to kill his wife, Peter Demeter was sentenced to life in prison in 1974. But being incarcerated was never an obstacle to Peter Demeter's evil plans. He continued his criminal scheming from behind bars. Arson, kidnapping, torture, and even murder. For those he wanted dead, he stopped at nothing to make it happen. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast series, I'm bringing you the true story of a man whose hatred knows no bounds. He has been called a master manipulator whose mind is a great reservoir of evil that contaminates everyone around him. And at 87 and crippled by disease, the Canadian Parole Board has refused to release him from prison, saying he still poses a significant threat to society. This is Unrepentant Killer, The Life and Crimes of Peter Demeter, Episode 5, Operation Dragon. Murder mastermind Peter After a sensational 11-week trial, dubbed the crime of the decade, Peter Demeter, the former wealthy Mississauga developer, was found guilty of non-capital murder in the death of his wife, Christine. Given a mandatory life sentence, he would not be eligible for parole for at least 10 years, and by that time, he would be 51 years old. While most of the evidence against him was circumstantial, 
those who witnessed the trial felt strongly that there were other forces at play that resulted in Peter's conviction. Former Mississauga Times reporter Jim Bailey. Just as, this is just my personal opinion, but I still have held it after uh, many years and a lot more experience as a journalist and whatever. But I think Joe Pomerant just screwed it up. I mean, I thought he, he just he dragged everything out. He uh, I mean, I think he, he just played it so, so badly. Um, he uh, he challenged everything. He questioned he questioned everything. Uh, he uh, had little hearings on every single piece of wiretap evidence that, that, that they had to, to no particular purpose, I, I didn't think. And it just went on and on and on. And former Mississauga detective Barry King, who was in London for the whole trial, also believed that Peter Demeter's defense lawyers may have acted in a way that didn't ultimately benefit their client. Well, I just yeah. remember that uh, Eddie Greenspan if he had been doing that trial by himself without Joe Pomerant, he probably would have won. Joe, uh, Joe was a kind of a lawyer that uh, thought nobody could top him, uh, and Eddie was his young guy, and uh, but he was sharp. Eddie kept trying to push, and uh, Pomerant would say, whisper in my ear, and tell me, "Don't, uh, don't mention, don't you make any options or do anything like that. This is my trial." But. Regardless of their legal antics, the defense team had ultimately not presented any other rational explanation for the sequence of deadly events that led to Christine Demeter's brutal murder on July 18, 1973. Naturally, Joe Pomerant floated numerous theories. Maybe she died from an accidental fall while trying to reach something in the garage. This was what Peter had originally suggested to the police. But, of course, the autopsy completely refuted that idea. The damage to her skull was too severe to have been caused by a fall. Pomerant then suggested that Christine was murdered by a rapist and serial killer who had attacked and killed two women in Mississauga not long after her death. But the actual killer while confessing to every one of his crimes, denied any involvement in Christine's death. And in a final attempt to sway the jury, Pomerant suggested it was Christine who had hired the hitman to kill Peter, but her plan had backfired and she was killed instead. Unfortunately, the jury didn't accept any of Pomerant's alternate theories and Peter Demeter was no longer a free man. With Peter in prison awaiting his appeal, the Mississauga police continued to hunt for the man they were sure was the actual killer of Christine Demeter. Imra Olenik, the man known as the Duck, had fled back to Hungary shortly after Christine's murder. Detective Barry King. We got, we got directed towards the Duck because he was in custody over there. They were very hesitant about uh, telling us anything from that country. Uh, deal with the RCMP and uh, uh, government relations to, to uh, you know, get any kind of cooperation. In April 1975, Deputy Chief William Taggart and Hungarian-speaking Detective Joe Turdick traveled to Hungary to interview Imra Olenik. But they were too late. 
they get there and while they're waiting to <laughs> for him to be brought out, they said that he won't be coming out. According to the Hungarian authorities, the duck had suffered an untimely massive cerebral hemorrhage while he was being interrogated about the murder. He was 39 years old. For the Mississauga police, the duck's death was concerning. We don't know whether it was because of that they believed he did it, but that was our that was our supposition. Now both of the accused hitmen had been silenced. The duck was dead, and Laszlo Epper had been killed in a police shootout. But what about Joe Donardo, the self-confessed Hungarian enforcer who had testified that Epper had killed Christine? He could have. He was. I'm sure he's done a number of whether homicides, but. Uh, rough up people, things like that. He was that kind of a dummy. Although there were no other suspects, the police planned to continue their investigation. After all, there was no statute of limitations on murder. While Peter was adjusting to a life sentence at Millhaven Penitentiary, Canada's newest supermaximum security prison, his former lover had moved on. Marina had resumed a busy social life and a new career. When interviewed by a Toronto Star reporter four months after the trial, Marina spoke of skiing weekends in the Swiss Alps and of a new wealthy boyfriend. She was working in a fashion boutique and still did some part-time modeling. She told the Canadian reporter that Peter wrote to her from prison every week, but confessed that her correspondence to him had been a lot less frequent. Asked if she would ever return to Canada, the Austrian beauty replied, What's the use? By 1977, Peter had been in federal prison for two years. He had lost his appeal in the Ontario Court of Appeal, but Peter was never a man to give up too easily and was hoping the Supreme Court of Canada would grant him a new trial. Eddie Greenspan, who was still representing Peter, was arguing that the excessive media coverage of the sensational murder case had deprived his client of a fair trial. And because the judge had not sequestered the jury right from the beginning of the trial, the jury members were likely influenced by the biased media reports that painted his client as an evil man. As for Greenspan's famous client, the former developer and entrepreneur now spent his days working as a typing clerk in the prison print shop. An old friend, who also happened to be a reporter for the Toronto Star, would visit Peter at Millhaven Penitentiary and bring him car magazines. They were the only thing Peter asked for. While he had deteriorated emotionally and physically in his time behind bars, Peter said he was treated well by the other inmates. I'm the most famous guy in here, he said. They all know me. Peter continued to profess his innocence and said he'd been framed by others. And he continued to speak of his love for Marina and hoped she would wait for him to get out of prison so they could be married. He lamented that everything he had built since he came to Canada was gone. His wife, his daughter, 
his business, his money, and his reputation. Peter told his old friend that if he didn't win his Supreme Court appeal, he had nothing to live for. He could not tolerate spending another 10 years behind bars. On May 31, 1977, Peter lost his appeal to the Supreme Court. But while Peter sat in prison, angry that he had lost all of his appeals and grieved for the life he once had, he hadn't lost interest in one thing he still desired, and that was money. Specifically, the $1.1 million life insurance policy he had on his wife. Peter was suing three insurance companies in civil court to collect the funds. When he was convicted of killing Christine, the insurance companies had refused to pay out the policies. But Peter wanted that money, and by pursuing a civil action to trial, the insurance companies were going to have to prove the murder charge against him all over again. Many of the same witnesses from the criminal trial would be called to testify against him at the civil trial, but this time... Peter was certain he would be vindicated. But regardless of his confidence and declarations of innocence, there was one particular witness Peter wanted silenced. In 1977, the Ontario Provincial Police had received information that there was a credible threat against the life of Chaba Salagi, Peter's former friend and key witness against him during the murder trial. While the police couldn't prove Peter was behind the threat, they took it seriously, and Attorney General Roy McMurtry ordered around-the-clock police protection for Chaba Salagi. When Chaba did testify at the pretrial hearing for the insurance civil case, he told the judge that he could no longer work because of the threats against him, and he would have to go into witness protection. There was a bounty on his head, and he knew his old friend Peter was never going to stop trying to have him killed for betraying him. But despite his long-simmering anger towards his old friend Chaba, Peter had other battles to deal with. In July of 1979, Peter was found unconscious in his cell at Millhaven Penitentiary he had been beaten by another inmate. But Peter pressed on with his civil lawsuit. He wasn't going to allow a jailhouse beating to keep him from trying to prove his innocence and collect a million dollars. It was a court battle he would pursue for years. After her mother's murder... Young Andrea Demeter had gone to live with her father's cousin Stephen, his wife Marjorie, and their son Stuart in Willowdale, Ontario. Being only three and a half at the time, Andrea soon forgot her past and assumed Stephen and his wife were her parents and Stuart was her brother. It wasn't until she was nine years old that she discovered what had happened to her real mother. Someone at school showed her a book with a photo of Christine lying in a pool of blood on a concrete floor. The photo was in a book titled 
by Persons Unknown, written by Barbara Emile and George Jonas in 1977, three years after her mother's murder. Movie rights to the book had been optioned, and there was already another fictionalized movie in production. The murder of her mother and the conviction of her father was a shock. Andrea finally knew the truth about her past, and it terrified her. But she was also confused because Stephen and Marjorie Demeter were the only parents she knew. Andrea began visiting her father in prison. The place and the man scared her. He was a stranger to her, but he wanted to control her. He told her to stop calling his cousin and his wife mom and dad. They were not her parents, and this made him angry. As Andrea matured, the visits with her father got more and more difficult. Eventually, she sent him a letter stating she no longer wished to see him. In 1983, after serving almost 10 years in prison, Peter was given day parole. For the past three years of his sentence, he had been residing at Warkworth Penitentiary near Peterborough, Ontario. He had been transferred to the medium security facility after he had been attacked by other inmates at Millhaven. But even in a medium security facility, Peter Demeter had managed to get himself in trouble when it was discovered he had been drinking while out on a day pass. Peter seemed to have a way of manipulating those around him, even those who were supposed to be guarding the convicted killer. Shortly after being transferred to Warkworth, Peter had talked a female prison clerk into accompanying him to a party. But it wasn't just any party. It was a pool party that Demeter and another inmate had arranged on a one-day prison pass. The party, which was held at the prison employee's house, was apparently paid for by Demeter and was catered by an exclusive Toronto restaurant. When the media got wind of the pool party, the female warden at Warkworth was questioned and rumors began to circulate that Peter might have some of the prison guards on his personal payroll. It wasn't the last time Peter would be accused of trying to buy favors, even if those favors included torture and murder. Ten years after he was convicted of hiring someone to kill his wife, Christine, 49-year-old Peter was living eight days a month in a halfway house in Peterborough, Ontario. In his first official media interview with the Toronto Star, Peter talked about wanting to put prison life behind him and focus on his now 12-year-old daughter, Andrea. According to him, she was the most important person in his life and he was hopeful about re-establishing their father-daughter bond. He would be eligible for full parole the following year in October 1984. And when that happened, he wanted to buy a house and create a new life with his daughter in the Peterborough area. 
It feels like home already, said Demeter, referring to the rural town. Peter said he had no intentions of ever returning to Mississauga and was trying to sell his home there, the one where his wife had been bludgeoned to death in the garage. But strangely, there had been no buyers. Describing himself as a happy-go-lucky ladies' man before his wife's death, Peter said he was now a solitary person who just wanted to resume a quiet life with his daughter and escape the media's attention. The exclusive Toronto Star interview with the convicted murderer made the front page of the Saturday Star newspaper on March the 5th, 1983. And while it sounded like the former millionaire developer had been changed by his decade-long prison term and was planning to quietly disappear into the role of adoring father in a small southern Ontario town, those closest to Peter were reminded of the age-old expression, a leopard doesn't change its spots, and this particular leopard was a killer. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
seven months after his headline-grabbing interview with the Toronto Star that read Demeter dreams of new life with loving daughter, Peter Demeter was re-arrested and charged with three counts of arson, conspiracy to commit arson, and two counts of counseling others to commit murder. It turned out that while on day parole, Peter Demeter had more than fatherhood on his mind. True to his nature, Peter was still consumed with money and revenge, and he was planning his next murder. But fortunately for his intended victim and his family, the police had been watching Peter all along. The new murder plot was discovered accidentally when the police were investigating three mysterious fires at Peter Demeter's home in Mississauga. Peter had tried to sell the Arendelle property, but had been unsuccessful. Then, in a one-week period in August of 1993, there were three separate fires at the property at 1637 Dundas Crescent. It was later discovered that Demeter had arranged a mortgage on the property just before the fires occurred. Peter needed the money to help pay for his legal bills, since he was still pursuing the civil claim against the insurance companies for the million-dollar life insurance payout on Christine. During their investigation into the mysterious fires, the police discovered that Demeter had paid a man by the name of Tony Preston $8,000 to burn down his house. But when arrested by the police, Preston informed them that Demeter had also offered him $10,000 to murder someone. The intended victim? Peter Demeter's 19-year-old cousin, Stuart, the son of Stephen and Marjorie Demeter, and the de facto brother of Andrea Demeter. According to Tony Preston, Stuart Demeter was to be kidnapped and held for ransom. But even if Stephen Demeter paid the ransom for his son, Stuart was to be tortured and murdered. The police listened to Preston's bizarre story and couldn't quite believe that Demeter, who was less than a year away from full parole, would risk his freedom again. But the cops also knew how Demeter's mind worked and he would stop at nothing to exact revenge on those he felt had betrayed him. Once again, the Mississauga police began investigating Peter Demeter and Operation Dragon was initiated. At 14, Andrea Demeter had grown into a mature young lady. She had not gone to visit her father for years. But one day, she was suddenly pulled out of school by the police and was taken to a hotel. Her brother Stuart, Stephen Demeter's son, was also there. Andrea soon learned that her father was planning to have Stuart kidnapped, held for ransom, and then killed. Peter blamed his cousin Stephen for his daughter's estrangement and was going to kill his cousin's 19-year-old son out of revenge. For two months, the Mississauga police trailed Peter Demeter. Tony Preston, 
the man who had set fire to Peter's house, had refused to take part in the murder plot. But Peter soon found another hitman for hire. Or so he thought. 33-year-old Mike Lane was a Peterborough bodybuilder who had previously been convicted of manslaughter. Lane was trying to get his life back together after spending 15 years in prison. So when Demeter approached him about assisting in a murder plot, he went directly to the police. Lane agreed to go undercover, and just like they had in 1973, the police set up an elaborate sting operation to trap Peter Demeter. Arranging to meet at the local Holiday Inn, a confident Peter outlined exactly what he wanted Mike Lane to do. But this time, there was no hidden body mic on the informant. Everything Peter was about to say was recorded on secret audio and video cameras hidden in the hotel room. As per Demeter's plan, Lane was to procure a van and line the van with plastic to catch any blood splatter and gunpowder. Then, he was to acquire a gun with a silencer and a body bag. Stewart, who was attending York University at the time, was to be lured to a location under the guise of a job offer. Lane was to trick him into the van where Peter would be waiting to shoot him. Peter said he wanted to see the look in Stewart's eyes before he shot him. He gets it. Bang. Finish, said Peter on the videotape. He then said that Lane would need to mutilate the body before burying it. He suggested removing Stewart's teeth and hands to hamper identification of the remains by fingerprints or dental records. Once the body was disposed of in a pre-dug grave, Lane was to phone the dead teenager's parents and demand a ransom, reading from a lengthy ransom note that Peter had composed himself. The secret videotapes also revealed that Demeter was thinking of a murder-for-hire package deal. Once Stuart was dead, he was thinking about kidnapping the daughter of an insurance executive who could influence the outcome of his civil lawsuit. On October 19, 1983, the police rearrested Peter Demeter for arson and attempted murder. His short but sweet taste of freedom was over. Eighteen months later, he was found guilty of all charges and sentenced to two additional life terms. Naturally, Peter claimed he had been framed once again by the Mississauga police, and he was innocent. And in another blow to his ego, Demeter finally lost his civil lawsuit against the three life insurance companies. He wasn't going to get the million-dollar payout on Christine's life, and the court had even ordered him to pay the insurance company's legal costs of over $260,000. The man who was so obsessed with wealth and money that he had killed for it was finally forced to declare bankruptcy. He owed a lot of money to a lot of people, including his lawyer who had pursued the civil lawsuit against the insurance companies on his behalf. Realizing she would have difficulty getting paid the $45,000 owed to her, 
attorney Toby Bellman got a court order to freeze what few assets Peter Demeter had remaining, shares in a Canadian technology company. For the litigation lawyer, she simply wanted to get paid the fees owed to her. But she had no idea she had just crossed a very dangerous line in the mind of Peter Demeter. And interfering with what little Peter had left was going to cost her dearly. A month after being convicted of two additional life sentences for the kidnapping and murder plot against his cousin's 19-year-old son, Peter Demeter was already scheming and planning another deadly crime. Eliza Bellman, the 16-year-old daughter of Demeter's former lawyer, Toby Bellman, was to be kidnapped and held until her mother removed the freeze on Demeter's assets and paid close to $300,000 in ransom. If she didn't pay, the girl was to be killed. Once again, Peter had entrusted others to do his dirty work for him, and even though he had been burned twice by accomplices turning on him, Peter still hadn't learned his lesson. 29-year-old single mother Lisa Ross met Peter while he was on day parole in 1983. She fell instantly in love, but just a week after their meeting, Peter was back in prison for trying to hire someone to kidnap and murder his cousin's son. Now, five years later, Lisa Ross was testifying against Peter in another kidnapping murder-for-hire scheme. While in prison, a charismatic Peter had convinced the naive young woman that he was in love with her and began manipulating her. Peter instructed her to hide his assets and cash in some of his stocks. But then in 1985, his demands of her became much more serious. Demeter instructed Lisa Ross to hire his former cellmate, Peter Winstanley, to kidnap 16-year-old Eliza Bellman. Winstanley, a bodybuilder originally from South Africa, was to be paid $25,000 and another $5,000 if murder was necessary. After Wynne Stanley was approached by Demeter's girlfriend, he pretended to be interested in the job, but in fact, he immediately contacted Eliza Bellman's mother, Toby, who then called the police. In what must have seemed like a really bad deja vu, the police set up a third sting operation to catch and trap Peter Demeter. Subsequent meetings between Demeter and Lisa Ross at the prison were recorded and meetings between Ross and Wynne Stanley were videotaped. In her chilling conversations with Wynne Stanley, Lisa Ross, who was herself a mother to a six-year-old daughter, claimed that she was so in love with Peter Demeter that she was willing to arrange the kidnapping and murder of his lawyer's 16-year-old daughter and then commit suicide if she had to. She said she didn't care what happened to her if she got caught because she would have nothing to live for without Peter. In August 1985, Lisa Ross was arrested as a co-conspirator along with Peter Demeter in the plot to kidnap and murder 16-year-old Eliza Bellman. But by the time the trial began three years later, 
Peter's spell on the young woman had been broken, and she agreed to testify against him for her own freedom. Fifteen years after Peter Demeter hired someone to kill his wife Christine, and only three years after being found guilty for conspiring to have his cousin, the 19-year-old son, murdered, Peter Demeter was once again on trial for trying to exact revenge on someone who came between him and what he loved the most, money. During Demeter's month-long trial, Crown Counsel Glenn Orr told the jury that Peter Demeter was immoral and had no conscience. He said looking into Peter Demeter's mind was like opening a Pandora's box and being hit by a swarm of bees. On July 1, 1988, Peter Demeter was convicted of conspiracy to commit kidnapping and murder. He was sentenced to two more life terms in a federal penitentiary. In sentencing Demeter in the Bellman kidnapping plot, Judge John O'Driscoll stated, Your evil knows no bounds. It never rests. It never ends. In my opinion, you should never, ever, ever be released from prison. Whether or not you are inherently evil, I do not know. But you ooze evil out of every pore and contaminate everyone around you. Peter's last conviction highlighted his uncanny ability to manipulate those around him. Lovers, lawyers, relatives, fellow inmates, and even prison officials. As his former girlfriend Lisa Ross said during his trial, Peter likes to think he is a puppeteer. Everyone else is a marionette, and he pulls all the strings. In 1995, a psychiatrist who assessed Demeter in prison described him as insightful, manipulative, narcissistic, and psychopathic. The doctor said that Demeter would not benefit from any programs or treatment and continue to represent a significant risk to others should he be unsupervised in the community. Demeter was twice denied parole in 1996 and in 1997. Years later, in 2006, Demeter was in the news again when he refused to give the police a sample of his DNA. New federal legislation passed at the time gave police forces across the country the legal authority to seek DNA samples from anyone convicted of first or second degree murder, manslaughter, or a serious sex offense prior to 2000. Demeter went to court in Kingston, stating that the Peel Regional Police were attempting to have his genetic fingerprint put in a DNA databank as part of an ongoing form of harassment towards him. He argued that the demand for his DNA was ridiculous since he would likely die in prison. After 33 years of harassment, I ask for this one pinprick of victory, said Demeter to the judge. The judge denied Demeter's request and ordered him to provide a blood sample for his DNA. Today, 
Peter Demeter is a crippled old man living in a special housing unit for aged and disabled convicts at the Medium Security Bath Institute located near Kingston, Ontario. He has survived cancer, a stroke, and two heart attacks. At 87, the frail octogenarian now uses a walker to move around. And to this day, he still maintains his innocence in the murder of his wife. In fact, in a rare media interview in 2006, the former money-conscious developer offered a very practical reason why he would not have killed his wife. Referring to Christine's murder, Demeter said, I'm so money-minded that if I would have arranged my wife's murder, it certainly wouldn't have been in a luxury home I was living in because the value of the house would have dropped by half. For 47 years, Demeter has maintained that Christine was trying to kill him for the million-dollar life insurance policy, and it was Laszlo Epper, the hitman she had hired, who killed her when she reneged on their deal. And while he has admitted to his other crimes, saying... I'm totally guilty of making blood-curdling threats against my cousin and my lawyer. He has always insisted he had nothing to do with Christine's death. I was 23 miles away on the night of my wife's murder, he reminds anyone asking. Peter Demeter had $8 in his pocket when he arrived in Canada in 1956 from his native country of Hungary. Like many immigrants, he worked extremely hard to establish himself in a new country. And his fortitude paid off. By the early 1970s, he had a successful company, a beautiful wife, a young daughter, and a luxury home. But he wanted more. More money, more success, more power. And for those who stood in his way, their lives were expendable. His journey from self-made millionaire to a vengeful and paranoid con artist was swift and it was deadly. In 2019, Peter Demeter applied for release from prison. It was the first time he had done so in 20 years. His request was denied. 25 years earlier, in 1994, Peter Demeter sat down for a rare television interview with the CBC. He had only agreed to do the interview because he was hoping to reconcile with his daughter, Andrea. What communication have you had with your daughter since that 13th birthday? I wrote an eight-page, very emotional letter to my daughter uh, on the 3rd of December last year and asked her to, to reach in her young heart and, and uh, come down to my sick bed and see me. And, uh, Did she answer? Yes, uh, a, a month later she answered uh, that she doesn't want anything to do with me. Peter Demeter lost his only daughter many, many years ago, and he will die alone in prison. 
I'm perfectly uh, resigned to the idea of dying in prison, but sadly the, the system in the last few years, they automatically cremate you and they put you in an urn. So I would like to be buried uh, somewhere in, in Gananokwe, here's a potter's field instead. But um, I would have needed my daughter's help for that because she's my next of kin. Andrea will bury her father for closure, for kindness, she has said. Then, she added, it will be a thing of the past. Unrepentant Killer. The Life and Crimes of Peter Demeter is written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. A special thank you to Jim Bailey and Barry King. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.